Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path after party number 61. Woohoo! Woo! Well done. We are going to be covering episodes 181, 182, and 183. Or as I like to call them, the No Longer in the Guardian Vault episodes. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I mean, that's, you're not that's wrong. one thing to say. <laughs> one more dungeon marked off my list. Let me delete that map real quick. I mean, yeah, I guess there's that too. I mean, we might go back down in there, but there's not really a good reason to anymore. I don't think you guys will need to go back there for anything, no, I so I can share so. some secrets. Because hey. we just have to use the lantern on the first place we went and then go anoint everything at the other place and then go activate it now that we have the key. Yeah, this is actually the only dungeon you guys don't have to go back to. Hey! <laughs> nice. Well, there you go. Anyway... Recapping our episodes, in episode 181, we figured out the scarab beetle puzzle with the like walls of fake scarab beetles and the one real beetle and grabbing it and it turned into a little like rock thing. It was like a where's Waldo, but with beetles. I'm glad we didn't kill the beetle. Well, I mean, it just comes back every day. Yeah, but like, yeah, we had to then wait and go through the, the whole rigmarole to get down here. The interesting thing with that would have been if you'd already activated the life lantern. And oh then we're God. forced to wait for a day. See, that's why oh. I'm glad I used vision. And I'm like, no, we don't activate anything until we're absolutely ready. Again, yeah. the most clutch use of divination, <laughs> probably in the history of us playing. Yep. I always like just a, this is a random side note. I always like whenever a, you're experiencing what an ancient civilization was like and you run into something like this where it's a seventh level spell made permanent and reoccurring just to show you how powerful magic was back then and how like m almost more prevalent it was as opposed to the modern setting. Like wizards now, like even if you study for a long time as a wizard, you might only be like fifth level. That's about the limit of like what you have from like magical teachings. But like back then, apparently you could just go out and become a big mage. I mean, all you have to do is go out and become a big mage and Hollis, that's what Hollis thinks. But you gotta go out. I'm just imagining like the Shori Empire's like flying cities were not built based solely on, all right, everybody, rumspring a time, go get 20 levels and come back. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan may have just hit on something is I really want to have like the, the gnomish community that has like rumspringo where you just like, yes. <laughs> and they send all gnomes. of their gnome children out into the world. <laughs> Can we plan all gnome party that are on rumspringa? Cause I'm here for it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's a great setup. That could be pretty fun. I also think it'd be really cool to play a game where none of us knew what class we were. And then we like start at zero, right? Second edition. And then mm -hmm. at first level, Rick gives us like, here's the first feats you have, like essentially. Like oh. it'd be a lot of work for Rick, but it would be kind of funny to like, based on how we play zero level, we get our next abilities. And based on how we play that, we get our next abilities. Like almost classless. Oh, very interesting. Why do I feel like we're all going to be multi-classing? I would pull the same trick that I pulled in uh, Strange Aeons, and then I'd make each of you write a level progression, and then I'd just randomize it, and then give <laughs> it to someone else. Yeah. So it's like, congratulations, Jessica, you have to play like Heather's wizard build or something like that. It'd be kind of cool. Anyway. It'd be interesting. I was taken back to when we did Rise of the Rune Lords, where you kept track of our play and then assigned us our sin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ah, uh, sin points. That was fun. That was <laughs> something... Never realized I had made such a slothful paladin. But yeah, you guys did figure out the little puzzle with the, the scarab beetle. Yeah. Yep. And upon doing so, we did enter into the Pharaoh's vault and mm -hmm. fight the Black Johnny. Yeah, we fought a big lady. A gazuberry, which just seems like, you know, blackberry, strawberry, a gazuberry, like. <laughs> yeah. It's a gazuberry. She lightened us. <laughs> that could have really wrecked our day, too. Uh, it kind of uh, did. It kind of did. It could have been did. way worse, though. I think we handled that fight pretty well. You handled it well. Uh, Jashura being there was an added bonus. Yeah. That uh, was having our front line be high reflex save with evasion really helps with all the lightning oh, yeah. and such. Yeah, you know. I do want to uh, to mention something because I think, I believe it was Michael Cortez wrote this book. I think he realized what an utter beast she was because he specifically writes, and some people may have noticed this during the episode, that, uh, yeah, she's patient, would prefer to deny her enemies opportunities for full attacks, uh, believing that extending her time in battle will give her greater opportunities to spread out the pain and suffering that she hopes to inflict to alleviate her boredom. Mm. Uh, and as such, she spreads her attacks amongst her enemies also. 
which is why she was rotating okay. between hitting Sudi and Citra. She wanted to cause the most amount of pain to the most people possible. Because yeah. a full-out attack on either one of you may have feasibly dropped you. Uh, yeah, it definitely felt like what it a, would have been. What a lovely, sadistic mm -hmm. person. Again, the fact that they didn't give her power attack. I think that's fine. I thought yeah, that was fine. just fine. Yeah, I think, that's yeah, I think that was fine. Mm. <laughs> I just always find it interesting when a creature using a two-handed weapon doesn't have power attack. Not everybody plays their villains the way you would. <laughs> well, and it's it's fine because it means that, you know, she's not necessarily maximized for combat. And all of her other feats, I don't see a single one of them that... I think she barely made that save against the dismissal from Hollis. And that was probably because ah. she has the Iron Will feat. So, yeah, I don't think there was a single one of her feats that were wasted. It would have been very anticlimactic if we just walked in here, dismissal. We're like, all right, cool. So where's that key? <laughs> Sometimes that's nice, though. We've already, we've had our one. We did that yeah, with- Yeah, you had uh, the Glabber Zoo. That yeah, you the just Glabber Zoo. Yeah, but that was Heather's. I get one too, and then we get two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sa save yours for whatever Hockatep summons, and you can just dismiss that. Yeah, yeah I'm sure, that, I'm sure there'll be at least one outsider in the entirety of Hockatep's. I don't think he yeah. needs any outsiders with the army of everyone else that was freaking buried with him. <laughs> we, yeah. we are getting ahead of ourselves, though. I'm gonna bring some glow sticks. <laughs> Uh, yep. But that does lead us into episode 182, where we investigated the Pharaoh's vault, now sans Agazuberry, mm -hmm. and uh, solved that really cool city puzzle where it was like that rotating was cool. and like yeah. all the different circles and like twisting it and all that stuff. Masika kept that. She was like, yeah. mine. She had her <laughs> Italian job moment. That's one of those cool, like, it, I know it's like, it's a puzzle, but it's also like an art piece kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, really like, it was very cool. Yeah. I would have been sad if we'd had to break it. Yeah, me too. Interesting little addendum to that. It does clarify in here, beyond the Pharaoh's key, the chest contains the quote-unquote scroll of greater binding as well as the two glass wow. files. Yeah, we haven't had time to identify those yet because I need to vision them again because they're uber powerful, apparently. However, because of the fragile nature of the glass files, if you destroy the chest, it also destroys the vials. Oh. You can still get the, yeah. the tablet and the... Uh, the Pharaoh's key, but whatever's in those vials, you lose. I, I would be very, very frustrated if we had broken it open, and it's like, yeah, here's two like artifact-powered potions. Yep. That you don't that get to broken. get. Now they're just mixed together in a big bowl. I don't know what they do. Quick, rub it all over me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scroll is cool. Or the that would be Narmer's response. <laughs> yeah, the, the tablet is really exactly. interesting if you're into, yeah. you know, binding outsiders and such. Well, now we can maybe have a friend as long as we're like very specific about letting them go when we're done. Yeah. And again, it touches on some of the power that Hakatep used. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fun. If nothing yeah. else, I'll copy all those names over and scratch them off the back of the tablet. <laughs> yeah, or I guess if it's a clay tablet, you could like put clay on it and like refire it or something. Hmm? I mean, I guess. I don't know how that works. I, don't, I think it was <laughs> stone. <laughs> with, with putting magic into a tablet, I don't know how that with clay. preserves it. Well, technically speaking, if Hollis transfers the spell over to her spell book, then the spell is erased from the tablet oh, and goes into a spell book. Yeah. So it'll just be a tablet full of names at that point. And then I gotta cross the names off so nobody else can have them, but I want them. Yep. <laughs> or or disintegrate. I mean, <laughs> depends oh, yeah, on yeah. how much time you Wow. If you really want to make sure no one ever has it. <laughs> yeah, because some people would summon them and like make them prisoners forever, and that's stuff. That's, yeah, that's but true. you could just break the tablet when you're yeah, done. You yeah, don't need could. to like use a disintegrate to get rid of it. That I seems mean, like a lot. I mean, I, I've only got a 10 strength. Disintegrate would make sure the job got done. I was know? just thinking drop it from on high, like just cast fly or something and just drop it. See? Spell. <laughs> Hand it over to Tefnishu. He'll stone shape. There you just go. Wad it hey. into a ball. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, I <laughs> have a stone shape. I could do stone shape. I have that. Although you could turn it into a nice little statue and leave it behind. I should, I should definitely do stone tell on that tablet. I bet it has some fun stories. Ooh, I wonder if the tablet knows some some dirt on our boy Hakatep. <laughs> dirt. Wow. I see what you did there. Hey. <laughs> you gotta nice. ask Tabby. Tabby. <laughs> yep, that's what I've named them. Now with uh, Tabby, the tablet of outsider names <laughs> in tow, uh, we had ed exited the guardian vault uh, with Jashura in tow, reaching the entrance. Actually, real quick. Oh. Do you want to know a little secret? Uh, yes. yes. Secrets. Always. I like secrets. You may have noticed that before you left the dungeon, I asked for a will save. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was weird. Oh, yeah. It's actually the second time I've asked for a will save since you guys have been in that dungeon. Yeah, because I think she's manipulating us. 
No, I don't think so. Somebody scrying on us, maybe? Maybe. Oh, maybe. Could be it. So, really fun trap that unfortunately never worked. Yay! There's a trap we're just walking past? Sort of. In the center portion where you keep walking by over and over and over again are the six life-size statues of the Akumen. Oh. Right? The six commanders, the people charged with command over the Sky Pharaoh's guardians. Each statue, if you actually detect magic on them, of which you never did, (laughs) has an aura of strong necromancy. For each of them actually contains the spiritual impression of the commander represented. That's why they're both undead and not undead from that divination Uh idea. Each of these is haunted by the personality of the Akuman. That's cool. Each of the commander focus on a different aspect of guardianship. Those focuses are represented through the statue's ability to infuse personalities into magic items. In effect, these statues can imbue magic items with a modicum of intelligence, causing the items to awaken into an intelligent magic item. Oh, that would have been so cool! With the personalities that their owners are likely to find more than vexing. In this way, the spirits of the Akumen will attempt to possess the magic items of the PCs as they make their way through, (laughs) turning against the PCs their own treasures and tools. So if we had failed, is there like a chart we roll on to see which spirit? I really don't want my a magic item imbued with the spirit of one of the freaking Akumen. That would have been awful. I think it would have been really, really interesting. Each one of them likes a different magic item. Yeah, so like Hakafrey, who is the... um, the bearded soldier attempts to possess uh, preferably magic armor and will attempt to seize control of the wilder, becoming stoic and uh, taciturn, but swiftly punishing those they deem not to be following the commands of the Akumen. <laughs> the assassin likes to inhabit uh, curved daggers or robes, etc., hmm. etc., et at which point they become an intelligent magic item with the goal of serving and protecting Hakatep the Sky Pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you don't want this, because yeah, your okay. magic item would be pretty much useless because it's going to try to take over and manipulate you into doing to helping Hakatep. The item becomes neutral evil. Um, it has <laughs> intelligence, wisdom, charisma, its own ego score to attempt to take over your mind. In addition to that, they each get a special item. So like Hako Frey, uh, when haunting an item, can cast slow three times per day and reduces its carrier's constitution <laughs> by two points. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that he would just be like, debuff the party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Each one of these represents <laughs> one of the six stats and each one of them reduces that stat by two while you're carrying the item. Ow. However, there is a way also in here to get rid of the curse. Okay. Because when you enter into their tombs, you can actually sense the spirits inside of the weapon if you're carrying one of them becomes nervous around that, each of their tombs. And if you open up their tomb and pull out their death mask, you can transfer the spirit from the item to their death mask. Oh. Upon doing so, however, a portion of its power is incorporated into the soul of the character who is just under the spirit's control and grants a plus one inherit bonus to the ability score of which they originally imparted a penalty. Oh, that would be cool. Okay, so it would have had a whole like side quest of like, how do we get yeah. rid of this thing? Yeah, But none of you ever failed the will save because it was like a DC, I think it's a DC 20 will save. I was kind of expecting mm-hmm. Citra to, but Rachel was rolling well. I got lucky then. <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> glad because, oh my God, that would have been such a headache. As a side note, oh it resets gosh. after every hour. So you guys triggered the first time and then wandered around, did all the rest of that stuff, solved <laughs> the puzzle and everything else, and then triggered a second time going out. So when you guys were talking about like, oh, okay, we could just rest down here, I'm like, yes, yes, you could just rest down here. <laughs> Give the Aquaman another chance. Oh, but no, no, that didn't Goodness. happen. Anyway, I just wanted to share that because there's no way that you would ever know that. That's cool. Oh, that's, that's actually really cool. that's actually really that is, cool. That is very interesting. What a use of like intelligent magic items as like a trap too. I know, like, that's, I love it. Because usually you're like, oh, I totally think that's nifty. And then it's like, no, this one's not nifty. <laughs> yep. Okay, so... Uh, we then exited the Guardian Vault uh, with Jashura, who got to the entrance, looked outside, said, so by the way, guys, I don't actually want to fight anymore. I need to go up to Ko. I want to see Ko. <laughs> and we were like, uh... Was, I was going to say, there was a lot of back and forth on, should we release her? She is like a plague div. She's going to Ko. That's fine. That's Ko's mostly abandoned. It's fine. It's fine. The the more interesting part of that, like for me, was Masika being like, "Here, go to my people," and I was like, "If she's bad, she's gonna wreck your family." I mean, why would she go out there just to murder everyone after she told us she owed us all a great thanks for letting her go? I mean, yeah. yeah but then there's the whole thing of 
is she actually telling the truth? Because they are a very manipulative type. I'm sure she's fine. I'm hoping she's fine because I feel bad for her story. It's super sad. And I would like to think that she is a better person after all of uh, what we've done for her because of how she was treated. Citra did make a really good sense motive. I did. So, I mean, the, the biggest danger is she doesn't know her body and its yeah. abilities. So she very well could accidentally infect She somebody. knows when she touches people, she'll infect somebody. I mean, she's known that her whole life. So, yeah. So let's actually get into an interesting question. If she goes to Ko and a mosquito bites her. Oh, Lord. Will that mosquito spread the disease to others? I don't think that's how the magical disease works. Uh, no, it very so. well could be because that's how real diseases work. It's not magical. It's supernatural, which mm. isn't magical by nature. Then again, actually uh, looking at her stat block, it'd have to be a mosquito that could get through a DR10 cold iron. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Yeah. So she's <laughs> so pretty okay on that. Not. She doesn't. She's immune to mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a fun side side effect to uh, having damage reduction. I guess Sudi also is never subject to mosquitoes. Yeah. Or probably yeah. most standard bug bites. They just can't injure him. Well, yeah, like that, like wind burn and stuff like that probably yeah. doesn't affect Sudi either. Sudi lives such a blessed life. Yep. He doesn't know it. <laughs> He's a stony boy. Yep. So then we went and had some fun times with our friend Tefnaju. Yeah. Yep. So, Got to uh, meet his we... wife. I was going to say, we, we decided to head over to Tefnaju's uh, bastion, as he said cool. his uh, wife. Is that the correct term for his partner? The book refers to her as his consort. Okay. Eh, okay. Well, they're not technically married because they've never had a ceremony. But, I mean, does that really matter when you've been together a couple thousand years? Sudi's a sort of lay priest. Masika yeah. is actually a shaman, so... Oh, yeah, that's I mean, yeah, That makes the most sense. <laughs> yeah, and looking up consort, apparently, di dictionary definition is a wife, husband, or companion. Mm -hmm. yes. So yeah. They're together. Yeah. Okay. Particularly the spouse of a reigning monarch. Yeah. I also <laughs> enjoy that their house has no, no doors. Um, no. Yep. <laughs> I, I do find it really circle. interesting, like, the architectural decisions that you make whenever you, like, stone is... Uh, you know, basically like air. <laughs> hey, there was at least a, a bottle of air to help us. And uh, the rock statues were really cool. Yeah. As a fun side note, I think his bastion was pulled here literally from the elemental plane. Oh, oh really? Uh, because it is literally a perfect sphere of pure granite embedded oh. into the earth. Wow. With only one Whoa. side showing of which he has carved out of it. The, uh, the little porch alcove that he made so that huh. they can sit on the front porch and stare out into the desert. Wow. And their That's little cool. stony chairs. Wow. Interesting. Makes me wonder what they've got in his, he's got in the attic in the basement. Mm. Yep. Maybe Next we'll get a time. chance yeah. to look, but we did, we did have an interesting discussion about who's going to take the bottle of air. Cause you found out, we found out that there's a scrying plate, I guess. Yeah. Plate. Plate of metal. It's like which a, was pretty cool. It's a crimson plate. Yeah. Cool. And we decided that Sudi would stay behind to go talk to the rocks. Sudi having rock time. Well, cause Sudi can hold his breath for like a really long time. Which has not come up in this uh, adventure as much as I thought it would. <laughs> I mean, how often do you usually need to hold your breath for things? Unless well, you're I don't going know. I was, I was thinking about like, you know, oh, we Buried really need alive. to go through this poison air or we're going to have to dive into a lake or something. Which it's that come was up a, stupid a couple thing times. Of. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, a couple of times. And how many books? Like it's, it's not something that comes up a lot, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah but we had uh, ended that episode with you guys doing a scrying on the tribe eater and finding yeah. out that yep. the tribe eater is exactly in our way because clever girl. Well, I mean, it's intelligent, so of course. Yeah, but it's like just it knew waiting. we were trying to turn stuff on. It was like, and then we saw a shady boy. And then we did see a shady boy. And he saw who, us. We, we stared at the darkness, and it stared back. Uh, yeah. Yep. Not, and, not really thrilled about staring at it either. <laughs> yeah, so we were all like, and then it started walking towards us, and we were like, oh, God. Danger. Yeah. But apparently he was just a messenger. Yep, uh, which starts episode 183, where the shadowy figure kind of like, we went we went outside and was like, we're going to confront it and like defend Tefnaju's home, maybe. And he was just like, come here. <laughs> come with yeah, me. Like, follow. And then, and then we, we did, did do so. Uh having been led outside of the slave trenches to a uh, defunct temple of Nethys. Very cool. To meet 
Nahamra and the other Nahamras. Yep. Ah, um, I love him. I guess all of my familial ancestors that have been called to come here. <laughs> so finally we found Nahamra. He was not hostile to us and in fact was nope. quite genial about telling us everything. Everyone sucked. That's yeah, what we learned from that story. All <laughs> of them. Except for Hawkmothis. He was the only Children. one who didn't. That's why he had to die young. It's like Hawkatep sucks, his brother sucks, his wife really sucks. Mm, Nahamra's yeah. not that great of a guy either. Nah, but he's Well, great. I think the interesting part about it is like, he kind of even knows he's not a good guy, but was like, eh, I love my country. He so loves I, two I did what things. I had to do. His yep. country and Nethys. And Hollis can understand and sympathize with one of those. He reminds <laughs> me of, gosh, I can never remember the names because there's so many characters from Game of Thrones. You're about to say the same person I'm thinking, which is Lord Varys. Yes, Varys. He reminds me of Varys. Varys the spider from Game of Thrones, who has a great line. I think it's the first season when they go back and forth and they're just like, he serves his interests and he serves this person. Who do you serve? It's like the country. Someone yeah. has to. Exactly. It's so good. It's such a good line. Yep. Yep. My favorite line of that entire episode, though, was uh, when uh, Nahamra is like he's meeting everybody and he looks down at Narmer and he's like, blah, 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 it. And Narmer's just like, I go by he. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have to make sure you got the proper pronoun. Just just killed me. It was amazing. Um, yep. But we did learn a lot about Hakatep's family, including like, yep. you know, his grandfather and how that all went his down. Crazy grandma who was like really into evil stuff too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And basically like how like Hakatep got to where he was and then beyond like even on to his you know actual death eventually which was good because it felt it filled in a lot of gaps because like we had just been seeing like random visions yeah answered a few questions it also provided you a perspective other than Hakatep's which is the mm -hmm. only perspective yeah. that you've seen up until now true although mind you it is still a this is Nahamra's perspective on it mm -hmm. yeah so. his right hand man and while his opinions might be have been inserted into it, everybody still sucks because we still know what sure. everybody did. You yeah. know, it's a lot of those, poisoning. Everyone yeah. freaking <laughs> sucked. And then everyone who sucked got buried in the same freaking pyramid. <laughs> so there's like 9,000 people in Hockadep's pyramid. That was really fun. Yes, yeah. that was yeah. the other theme of our discussion was realizing just how many people got buried in this pyramid. Like anyone that Hockadep liked or anyone that... Hakatep off is in that fucking pyramid. Yep. <laughs> you know. It's like, you get a spot in the pyramid and you get a spot in the pyramid. It's like, no. So, um, interesting thing. Oh. All of the information that I presented to you is never consolidated into a single place. What? I actually had to piece this together over the course of all six books oh to put God. together a single narrative of Hakatep's life. Wow. It ended up being 11 pages. Wow. So, because <laughs> you've, you've mentioned the condensed story of everything, but I didn't realize they just didn't have that anywhere. The problem would be they provide you an overarching, like, this is Hakatep's story, and it's like two pages. Right. And then when you're going through, you, there, here's this alchemist guy. And then in his section, he explains how he started working for Hakatep and all the things that he did for Hakatep and gives you a little bit of Hakatep's backstory. And then they're like, and here's this. Sphinx guy and here's his backstory and how he started working for Hakatep and here's this Nosferatu vampire and here's his backstory and how he started working for Hakatep and so like you had a 10,000 foot view of Hakatep from his section yeah. but to actually get all the other stuff you had to go through each one of these various NPCs and characters all the way back from like book two and even back into book one when you guys went to the Sanctum of the Erudite Eye to actually piece together the entire narrative of his story it took me a long time. Which is the other huge t twist is, of course, the Nahambra curse coming from that dang vault. God. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, after he got banished, she was like, hey, I want to go back and take a, you know, better look at that mask. Hollis and understands because mm -hmm. this is what Hollis would probably want to do, too. It's a very Nethian response. And mm -hmm. then got himself and his family for a thousand generations cursed. Yeah, sure. Wild. You guys aren't at a thousand Great. generations yet, but... We're going to figure out no. how to break generations. No, we're not. But I'm hoping we can keep other generations from having to deal with this. So pretty much every time one of Nahamra's direct descendants die, they turn into one of these shades and then go hang out in that Nethys temple. It's more complicated than that. <laughs> Is it? But we'll probably get into that in the next episode. Uh-oh. By the end of that, you did manage to get a pretty good idea of like the overarching 
story of Hakatep's existence. The only two people I feel sorry for, well, there's three people I feel sorry for in that story. Atet's wife, who did frick all except get forced into an arranged marriage, and she probably just tried to keep her head down through all this shenanigans. Uh, yes, be- <laughs> especially because her family decided to, like, start stuff. <laughs> and then, of course, Hakatep's son, who didn't do Talk anything wrong. Yeah. yeah. And then... Other than be awesome, apparently. Apparently he was just yeah. amazing. <laughs> and then the... I can't remember his name, but he becomes DeJared at the second, who was like, hey, I just need to know how this magic works. And, oh God, you split his soul, so now I have to do this giant cover-up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, especially because we had assumed that DeJared had ordered uh, Nahamra to do that. I hate that, th- that he thought, oh, I should just cover this up rather than, I don't know, own it? They would have executed him. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking about like the Nahamra thing. I was like, they could have just banished him. But I'm like, oh, it's the pharaohs. Pharaohs can do whatever the frick they want. Except so for mess with other people's afterlives. Because Rick say, did say like, in that if they had told them what had happened to Hakatep, they would have executed Dejerida the second. And- well, and the concern about the damage that that would have caused to the Church of Nethys. Yeah. Because the yeah. following pharaoh, you know, again, Nahamra finally got what he wanted which was a Nethian pharaoh. All, all they did was kick the problem down the road. That's all they did. Yeah. Well, and again, they would have had to go through pretty much a lot of the stuff that you have now. They would have to go back. They would have to reactivate the slave trenches to pull Hakatep's pyramid down from the sky. They would then have to enter into his pyramid, which is taboo in their culture, mm-hmm. to put the mask back. Yeah. It's again, like all of y'all were saying, of why didn't you raise his son? It's like, well, culturally speaking, we don't believe, like, once you're dead, you're dead. You've actually moved on into another state of being. Yeah. So we don't believe in doing the backflow thing of, like, bringing you back because that's kind of going against the natural order of the progression of life into death. Besides, this all happened when prophecy still worked, and the prophecy said that this would never be discovered. Thanks, Lost Omens. They yeah. thought they were safe, <laughs> that it w- mm-hmm. that Hakatep was, you know, basically screwed, but that he wouldn't ever return. So why yeah. go through all the effort of rejoining it, activating the pyramid, doing all of this stuff if it's not going to be a problem? Mm-hmm. Still Sucks for that guy. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's even more to learn in the next episode. Goodness. And and now you guys have a whole list of names of people that when you guys get into Hawk and Tep's pyramid, you're like, okay, this guy. I really hope yeah. you, you named that episode the one with the growing list. <laughs> Gosh, there's a lot of people. So many people. And some vampires and a sphinx. Hey, vampires are people too. Again, we need a list. Well, we we, we put Narmer in do. charge of that, remember? Yep, Narmer has the list. And again, he's going to pull a uh, Gary Oldman. Be like, Who's on the list, Narmer? Everyone! (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I Uh, hope he doesn't go full Gary Oldman, because that can be kind of scary. Narmer is now played by Gary Oldman. Oh, Oh, that's weird. Gary Oldman can play just about anybody. He can play some pretty eccentric characters. I mean, look at him in Fifth Element. Yes. Fifth Element. No, honestly, if I was going to cast Narmer, throw this out here as a bonus casting. What is this name? Oh my gosh, where's the casting list? Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk would be my choice for Narmer. He can play Narmer and Sugar because he plays chickens. Really I was well going to say, Alan Tudyk <laughs> has a special thing with playing non speaking birds. Sure. Because so apparently right. he's well, the bird in Encanto. Yeah, he's is, Hey Hey. It has been oh, added it, said, to the Encanto list. and Moana, yeah. And Moana is what I was saying. Okay, Alan Tudyk for Narmer. That's what I'm saying. That sounds, that sounds right. Oh, Alan <laughs> Tudyk. I mean, my, my brain was after. just going to uh, the Imperial droid from. Rogue One. I don't know. I just re- I just Shook have a soft me. spot in my heart for Alan Tudyk for uh, Knight's Tale. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will bung you. And I was like, what the frick does that mean? <laughs> All right. Are we ready for some emails? Sure. Yes. I am. All right. Our- All right. Our first email comes from Maria of Whistledown. Oh, hey, heck Whistledown. yeah. Everybody's favorite town. gnomish town. It's a good town. Maria writes... Greetings, Pathfolk. It's Maria of Whistledown, a.k.a. Fern.Gully on the Discord. Oh, Hello. Nice. Druid. Definitely Druid. Yeah. <laughs> and I Discord have a question about everyone's favorite NPC genius inventor, Chisisek. Masika is, of course, my favorite genius inventor overall. We have, we all have questions about Chisisek always. <laughs> so Maria what continues. What was his favorite I, dessert? 
<laughs> I know a lot of autistic people, and to me, Chisasek reads as autistic. I use yeah. autistic rather than person with autism because it is my understanding that's what most adults on the spectrum prefer. Although, of course, every person has the right to determine what language they use, and when you know what someone prefers, that's always what you go with. Exactly. Yes. I'm wondering if this was an intentional characterization or not, and if so, was this a choice Rick made or a portrayal baked into how he's written in the AP? In the AP, Chisisek's actually given very little characterization, uh, in large part because you really only get the one chance to speak with him with speak with dead, and they portray Chisisek's relationship with Hawketep as a lot more confrontational. Oh. And I actually liked it better with the idea of this close-knit circle. Considering that Hawketep brought this person into his circle, it wouldn't make sense if it was someone that he was confrontational Yeah, with. so like, why? how are they confrontational in the AP? That just seems Well, weird. more that just he doesn't... Chisisek doesn't like Hawketep in the material as written. Chisisek is one of the NPCs that I had to embellish the most in. Hmm. He is intended to be portrayed as, at the very least, on the spectrum, yes. I didn't want to... There was this time period in the, like, the, I think there was the 2000s, really. Uh, the one that immediately springs to mind was the, I think it was the most recent Predator movie. There was a lot of this upplaying the the super genius autistic person. Mm -hmm. And autism does oftentimes allow people to really focus in on something. And I'm, I'm speaking from a layman's perspective. I don't actually have experience in the mental health area. While I do have people in my family that are autistic, it depends, I suppose, on each individual because everyone's going to be unique. Yep. Mm. And so I wanted to touch on that and have a certain degree of representation because he is a character that is extraordinarily focused, fixated on his one thing he loves, which is basically just anything involving engineering. And at the same time, I also wanted to have a character that didn't come across as all of the rest of these like scheming and involved and everything else. Another member of the inner circle that's trying to pull strings and instead have a character that's I love doing this one thing. This person allows me to do this one thing. And if I could have him also kind of represent, although we already have that with Hollis, someone who's just asexual, mm. where Chisisek didn't care about it. He has sisters and brothers and everything, which is how Masika is related to him. Didn't really have time for chasing ladies around when he could be making giant robots. I mean, the man died because he forgot to eat food. The man died <laughs> yeah. because he makes, well, <laughs> more or less. He just ate very poorly. Eat your greens, people. So, long story short, which I always tend to go for the long story, yes. Uh, and I can kind of uh, back that up in terms of like Rick's portrayal because, uh, so I work in the software engineering industry, which has a double than higher um, aptitude for autistic people to be in our industry. Interesting. Uh, so it's actually fairly, like, I mean, we're talking like 5% of software engineers, but that's pretty common um, for yeah. there to be somebody on the somebody who's on the spectrum who works in software engineering. Hmm. And uh, it's not what people think it is. It's not stereotypical. Um, if you if you watch like Boston Legal, I think was what it was called mm -hmm. um, or something like Boston that. Boston Legal was the one with James Spader. Yeah, that one. It has Will Shatner in it too. Yeah. Um, they have this like uh, autistic character, but he's like He's like the savant kind of uh, mm. autistic character who like he knows the entire legal code and he can just spout it off. That's not necessarily how like everybody on the spectrum acts. And like, yeah. there's not a lot of portrayal of the variety of things that that come with um, autism. Some of it minor, some of it not minor. Well, the, the common misconception a lot of times with portrayal and media of individuals with autism is that making them almost mechanical. The Yes. Yeah. Sheldon from Big Bang Theory is the one that always bothers me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a better portrayal is something like, in my personal opinion, uh, I think Spencer Reed would probably oh, yeah. be somewhere on the yeah. spectrum as far as mm -hmm. Criminal yeah. Minds is yeah. concerned. Well, there's also a show called Atypical that's like the main character is autistic and it's mm. kind of interesting. I'm not familiar with it. It's on Netflix. Yeah, one of my uh, uh, former students uh, really liked the portrayal of actually one of the characters in Fortnite um, mm. that was actually said to be autistic uh, officially by the makers of the game, I guess. And, and nice. uh, they absolutely loved that there was representation in Fortnite for them. So Fortnite, oh, that's cool. capturing the hearts of children everywhere. Yeah. But uh, Maria continues... There's not a ton of autism representation in media. And when there is, the person is almost always either portrayed as Rain Man or Sheldon. Yeah. While in my experience, my autistic friends have just as much variety in their personalities as any of my other friends. That's true. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Chisasek doesn't fit either of those stereotypes. He's talkative, playful, and not misanthropic, although he may relate to people differently than others do. Whether this is intentional representation or not, I think it's empowering when people see themselves and their differences represented in ways that aren't limited stereotypes, especially when they are so underrepresented and misunderstood in the wider world of entertainment. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I hope that people took that away from the uh, the character that, again, he is the, the absolute best at what he did. Even if in the end he was working for an evil empire. He has a special interest and he followed it to the end. I love him yeah. so much. Uh, again, to the exclusion of, you know, of taking care of himself, which is something everyone should always do. Yeah, well, yeah. Don't work yourself to death if you take away nothing else from Chisasek's story. Chisasek needed a friend, like a real friend, not a friend that was using him. Yeah, yeah. not yeah. like Hakatep, like yeah. an actual person that cared about him. Yep, sad times. Maria signs off with, looking forward to your response whenever my turn comes up. Sincerely, Fern slash Maria, chilling with my gnome friends in Whistledown. Heck yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, oh look, there there's go, a Maria. P.S. Oh. P.S. P.S. More Chisasek related stuff. Huh. I'm a horticulturalist at a country club, and this winter I got to use an articulated robotic head shearing attachment for some cool equipment we have at Rad. work. Nifty. Yeah. I could totally relate to the crew trying to figure out how to run the mech suit because the only person who knows how to use this attachment was the person I replaced, and we couldn't find the instruction manual or instructional videos anywhere. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. First off, you had me at mech suit. Yeah. Yep. I want to go trim uh, trim hedges with my mech suit. Um, I imagine Chisasek's family took care of him when he was out in the parched dunes, but once, you know... I'm sure his sisters and brothers are like, dude, have you eaten today? Here, have have some actual food. Yeah, but he was far away. I, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. Chisasek had an assistant that Hakatep was like, all right, he's collapsed for the third time this week. Make sure he drinks enough water. <laughs> I was going to say, he probably had a clockwork servant, and then he just forgot to wind him. Yep. See, he, he That's why he me, had to get a human servant. He gives me sometimes like Tony Stark vibes where he just sits there and talks to his robots, and they're yeah. kind of Oh, I can see Chisasek 100% yeah. Tony Starking yeah. it, yes. Yeah. Well, again, his whole the whole thing with uh, the Narmer gem was to make a sentient was to make the metal sage. Narmer yeah. is Jarvis. Oh, Narmer oh, is no. Jarvis. Oh no! <laughs> I think in this case that would make Narmer Vision. Vision. Oh, Vision. Oh yeah. Alternate to Alan Tudyk, Paul Bettany. Paul He's Bettany anyway. is great. I think he is. Cast. <laughs> he has been Paul cast. Paul Bettany something. has been cast. Uh, too bad. Because Paul Bettany is amazing. Also, remember him fondly from Night's Tale. I do too. He played Chaucer. Very naked. Very naked. (laughs) Oh man. So Maria continues her PS with, essentially I just button mashed and tried every lever and button combination until I could work the arm properly. (laughs) Yes, that's That's, how you do it. (laughs) That sounds exactly right. Brute (laughs) force. Good on you. (laughs) But uh, apparently this was around the same time as the party found the mech suit (laughs) in game. (laughs) So in my Instagram videos documenting my attempts, I referred to the podcast. If I can figure out how to get those videos off of Instagram and string the dozen or so 15-second clips into a single file, I'll share it with you. That (laughs) would be amazing. I want to see you in this mech suit that sounds so cool. Yeah, that sounds really rad. I've never known anybody who got to use a mech suit. That's super cool. Jordan has latched (laughs) on to the words mech suit. Yes. I'm a technologist. These are my words. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our second email comes from Kyle, originally from Nermathis, but has moved to Sandpoint. That sounds cool. like a wise really? choice. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know. I, mean, I think we are the ones that some moved interesting him. stuff, too. <laughs> there was some late unpleasantness, but... Yeah, there's been sure. a couple of late unpleasantness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man. So Kyle starts off with, Hey, guys, it's Kyle from New Jersey again, and I remember the original place you guys said New Jersey was, it was Nermathis. But Sandpoint is cool, too, since I played Return- uh, Rise of the Rune Lords. Okay. You <laughs> are allowed to move and relocate. Yes, you are allowed to yeah, move. That is true. I, so- I don't know if you've ever stated that publicly, but you are definitely not shackled to the place we cast you. <laughs> I do believe somebody made us a list, so we will have to go update. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Kyle continues. Anyway, my silly question for the party is this. In the Kingmaker and Wrath of the Righteous games, or even Fire Emblem Three Houses, all units have voice lines when you click them or use them for their turn. I want to know what you guys think your character in the party would say, oh, including Narmer and Sugar. 
Sugar would be okay, you can't so, understand me every time you click. Yeah, it's one hundred percent that would be sugar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Narva would just be Narva away every time you yes. click on. <laughs> So for those no of you idea. not as familiar with the CRPGs, it is a uh, it's just a little announcement sound they make when you select the unit. So to tell you that you've selected them. And a lot of yep. times if you click on them a bunch, there's some they say something really funny after, yeah. you know, four or five clicks. Like in Easter a row. egg kind of things, yeah. I yeah. think uh, nowadays citrus would just be oh Cyrus. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <Yep. laughs> um Sudi's would probably be something about his special stone or embiggening. So it'd, pro- it'd probably be like, I'm going to use my special stone, or I'm ready to embiggen. <laughs> I don't know what Masika would say. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I, all I have for Hollow So Fall is y'all. <laughs> Funny y'all. enough, I actually use a couple of those uh, from, I think, that have been bedded into my heads from uh, Baldur's Gate and uh, Icewind Dell. Because every once in a while, I'm like, oh, looks like I have to go on a killing spree. Yeah, that's or, one uh, of the Icewind <laughs> You point, I punch. I use that one fairly often which would also be a good one for Sudi. yep a little fire and lightning should liven things up yep oh goodness uh also kyle says as for rick so he can be included although i think he was included for narmer what would <laughs> falto say <laughs> or maybe your favorite pc you've played who me <laughs> yeah that would be falto that would be falto <laughs> i immediately knew that was falto <laughs> I'm kind of stumped by this question. Yeah, I don't have a great one for Hall. I have y'all so far. Y'all? I don't know what the y'all does. I don't know what's related to the y'all. I just know y'all's in it. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, Masika's would be Narmer get in the bag. Uh, yeah, there you go. Narmer get in the bag. Hollis's would be magic. Magic. <laughs> magic. Time for magic, y'all. There we go. There, there, go. there. Time for magic, y'all. Yes, there you go. Either that or you click on Hollis and it's just pew, 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 pew. Yeah, like finger guns. The finger I was like, gun finger guns isn't really words, so I can't. No, that would be the sound of her casting magic missile. Would her just be with the mouth sounds going pew 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 pew? pew. Yeah. Goodness, that's a fun I question. I like that though. a lot. Oh man, so Kyle uh, continues. Now I also want to say a few things I forgot to say in my first email. Go for it. As I said, I'm a new GM, and my first game ever is Mummy's Mask. Uh-huh. We play every Wednesday, and it's so much fun. However, whenever we miss sessions, especially sometimes weeks in a row, it's gut-wrenching, but listening to you guys is the next best thing. I love listening to the show and having the current book you are on in my hands, flipping through the pages to see exactly where you are at and what's coming up, even though I already mostly know. (laughs) It's my own way of really feeling like I'm there playing alongside you guys and being part of the fun. It's like you're an assistant GM. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you also get to see all the ways that Rick customizes the, the yeah. things. Or all yeah. the times we go off script because we just got really obsessed with this rock or something. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Happens to the best of the parties. But uh, yeah, I, I do know there's a lot of people that actually uh, apparently like follow along in the books who are like GMs to mm-hmm. see like what's coming up and everything. Yeah. We can't do that. We're players. We have to no. be surprised. It's true. No, we, we have to be good. Yeah, Rick yep. might actually murder us if he found out we were reading ahead in the AP. Uh, yeah, possibly. Oh, yeah. I mean, consider, considering <laughs> we're like pretty much banned from the Pathfinder wiki for anything yeah. related to Assyrian. <laughs> like, actual murder. So if one of us disappears, you know what we did. Anyway. <laughs> and who the culprit is. <laughs> Looking for a new player that doesn't read ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so Kyle continues. Love your show and Rick's storytelling, and I wish my game could be anywhere as good as yours. Your game is great. I'm sure your game is awesome. Everyone's game is different. Everybody's game is different, but I think everybody's game is different, but everybody finds a way to have fun in their own way. So, like, we have our way of having fun, but that doesn't mean that's the only way to have fun. Exactly. The fact is there there are some people that would be very unhappy with my game mastering style. So it's everyone's, it's your own speed. What's perfect for your group? The Goldilocks thing. Yep. All right. Kyle has a PS and a PPS. Dang y'all. Well, hey. They're, they're getting their money's worth out of their uh, their emails. That's the same. PS, I know you won't say it if you are or not, but I feel like Strength of Thousands would be a great next show after Mummy's Mask. I'm also doing that campaign soon, though I thought of this because of Hollis's backstory with the Magambia. I don't think I think Hollis has always been very interested in the Tim Magic Warriors, but I don't think she has any connection to. No, Magambia. she's not. I no, mean, she's like she, wandered around in the uh, Mwangi Expanse a little bit. Yeah. She didn't go to yeah. Magambia or anything. I think she's just an old mage to Timbe fan girl. Heck yeah! I mean, I think any magical person <laughs> is an old mage to Timbe. Hollis fan is a person. fan of anybody that's a powerful magician of any sort. Yeah, right. Exactly. She loves Nahamra, even though the rest of the party's a little like, man, this guy. 
Yep. In answer to that, uh, we of course will not be doing Strength of Thousands following Mummy's Mask since we are sticking to 1st edition. And while I am converting a 1st edition Adventure Path to 2nd edition, I'm not going to be also converting a 2nd edition Adventure Path to 1st edition. That's a nightmare. Josh, could you imagine? We would confuse so many listeners. Oh my god! They'd be like, wait, why is there an attack of opportunity there? Yep, Patreon stretch goal. Oh my god, Well, check that off your bingo cards. Yep. Kyle continues, since I hear it come up so often, so I'm going to watch Waterworld to see what oh, I oh think soon. Uh, You're going to love it. He, he says, I'm known for still liking bad movies, but we'll see how I feel and I'll follow up soon on it. Good luck, Pathfinders. Good luck hey, to you. you. Know good, luck. Yeah, good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck to you, Kyle. Kevin Costner has said it, it was a joy to make even if it wasn't successful. And you know what? Okay. I find it a, it was a joy to make and it was a joy to watch. That movie I think so Kevin bad. Costner just I likes uh, being on boats. Yeah. It could be. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> On a uh, boat. Have fun. <laughs> Tell Rachel how it was. Yeah. Yes, exactly. At me. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that we would become known for playing Pathfinder and having Waterworld. and Waterworld. Like, yeah, Waterworld just is the opinions thing everybody of remembers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hey, I'm I'm gaining a fan base here with Waterworld. It's You're awesome. gonna start the official Waterworld, uh, you know, fan U.S. Club. fan club. Yeah. Oh my. Write her Goodness. own Waterworld adventure. No, that would be cool. I, I mean, I did dabble in fan fiction back in the day, but I don't know if I would. <laughs> okay. Patreon stretch goal. Patreon stretch goal. <laughs> yep. Rachel, Rachel writes a Waterworld module. And Patreon runs stretch it. goal. Oh, it gosh, no. I'd give it to somebody oh, else. Oh, that run. world would be so depressing. I'm going like, to be at work that day. <laughs> oh, she has no faith in my abilities. I have faith in your abilities. I just really hate water world. <laughs> I like water. I'm here for water friend adventure time. Oh, goodness. So our third and final email is from Sagan in Rochester. MN is Minnesota, right? Yes. Yes. Sagan in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, there's a note here that we've previously put people from Minnesota in Andorin. Yeah, but we should put them in the land of the Lenorm kings. You know, Vikings. Well, that also would ha! work. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. So uh, where where in the land of the Lenorm kings then? I don't know. Somewhere cool. I don't know a lot about the land of the Lenorm kings, <laughs> except for there's... There's Lenorms and uh, the Ironbound Isles Vikings. is what always springs to mind for me. It's not a place so much as like a just bunch of settlements. Yeah, we need like a city name, I think. Yeah. But this is a good time to shout out uh, yes. friend of the pod, Kama, for making a list of all the locations yep. we've ever uh, put people yay. in after parties, mm -hmm. as yep. well as all the Sirenscape taglines we've ever <laughs> used. Oh, wait, we have those? Kama, yep. take a hero point because, uh, yeah. wow. We've said a, we say we say a different uh, tagline almost every episode, so that's yeah, a true. lot of taglines. Uh, what about Holgrim? Holgrim sounds fun. What is that? Uh, Holgrim is the second largest settlement in the land of Lenorm Kings. Only Kalsgard is bigger. It's located in the Ironbound Archipelago. It's where uh, the Lenorm King White Estrid rules. Oh, heck oh yeah. she's awesome! Oh, yeah, that's nice. where yeah cool. hang out there with White Estrid. Uh, apparently, uh, about. 500 years ago, Imperial Chiliax attempted to invade invade Holgrim, but the attackers were quickly repelled by local inhabitants. Good. The single cellist ship of survivors was sent back home with the pickled heads of their compatriots to serve nice. as a lesson to the king. Yes. Yes. Wow. I like right. going the extra step of pickling the heads. You gotta make it all the way there. Goodness. Alrighty, so you're hanging out with awesome, awesome Vikings and Lenorms. There you Enjoy. go. There you go. Yep. All right. Sagan writes, crew. Kamala. Hello. Hello. Firstly, you are all fantastic, and the storytelling and table dynamics of this group are on a different level. Sorry for gushing, Rick, but you guys are too good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's why I keep telling them. We'll try to be worse. <laughs> Thank you. We work hard. Yes, we there do. you go. <laughs> yes, there we go. That's our phrase. Thank you. I worked hard on that. <laughs> Sagan continues. So as we all know, Galarian and Pathfinder as a whole has a lot of lore. Yep, I didn't yep. realize how much of it I had retained over the years. Ooh. I have recently started running Council of Thieves for a group of all new players, and I find myself struggling to quote unquote set the scene when there's so many rabbit holes of lore in the background that my new players don't know yet, especially for somewhere like West Crown or Chiliax. Any thoughts from the crew on this? Pick one thing to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. 
if it's relevant to what's going on in yep. that session, maybe mention it. But yeah, especially for new players, a lore overload might be a little bit too much. Yeah. We pretty much learned the lore as we've played. We didn't really mm -hmm. get lore dumps or anything like that. It was usually like, what are we playing today? What information do we need for what we're playing today? And then occasionally it would kind of reach out and be like, you know, but for the most part, it's keep it to what you need. Yeah. I certainly think dropping lore hints is fun. Yeah. So for instance, if uh, if you're playing through something in Chiliax and you involve the Sisterhood of the Golden Ironies, and then you bring up, oh, well, yeah, they fought against the goblins during the Goblin Blood Wars in Isgur. You don't really need to explain where Isgur is or really who these people are or what the Goblin Blood Wars were. It's just something fun and enticing to excite them about the world beyond. It always makes me think of going back to uh, A New Hope and Obi-Wan says like, oh, yeah, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars. Yeah. And you didn't need to know what the Clone Wars were. You're just like, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. And the animated series was. But you didn't necessarily need to know it. So, yeah, just just keep focused. Uh, feel free to expound upon the lore of Chiliax as much as you want. But if they're in Chiliax, they don't need to know anything about Halgrim and the land of the Lenore Kings. Yeah, it's also like um, you can drop those names. And if they're interested in it, of course, you can explain it more. But, like, you kind of give them, like, the, the basic what you need to know kind of stuff. Like, uh, for instance, like, we do this a lot in our gameplay where we don't necessarily know everything there is in this city, for instance. So we'll be like, hey, Rick, uh, I want to find a blacksmith. And he can, you know, be like, oh, yeah, here's a famous blacksmith and and all this stuff. And then, you know, we get the information of, oh, yeah, this blacksmith, by the way, is a dwarf who came from the Five Kings Mountains. Yeah. You dynamically build the world as you play based on what their kind of where their interests go, because not everybody is like super into lore. Mm -hmm. So a good way to balance that is to just kind of tell them the, the surface level, what you need to know. And but then they can make additional knowledge checks if they want to know more. Yeah. Yep. Like yep. either additional knowledge checks, or you can just tell them if it's like common knowledge, but the players don't necessarily need to know everything that their PCs know when it comes to like yeah. this town, especially if, if it's, you're doing one of those, like I'm from this town, like kind of things. And it works well for something like show don't tell as well. Yeah. If you want them to learn about the faith of Abadar, don't worry about it until you take them to a temple of Abadar. Mm -hmm. And then you're just like showing the murals and all the rest of that. You know exactly what Abadar's about when you walk into one of his temples. <laughs> it's true. That's fair. That's fair. Also the chorus in the background singing money, 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 money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what the bankers are all humming. Mm, yep. Depends on which alignment they're currently deciding they want yeah. to be. Oh my. So Sagan continues again. Love you guys. Counting down my episodes till I'm caught up on Mummy's Mask so I can start your Tyrant's Grasp oh. podcast. Just listen to the announcement. So excited. Awesome. Tyrant's Grasp now available on our Patreon. Yep. Yep. 60-something episodes available on our Patreon at this point. Bring tissues. Yeah, bring yeah. tissues. There's a lot There's a lot of sadness in that one. There's also a lot of awesomeness. There, there, it's it's there, got it a is, good yeah. balance. That's what I like about it. But I would recommend tissues for certain scenes. All right. And now it's time for the thing I'm worst at, casting. Ooh. Yeah. Woohoo. All right, All Rick. right. So I'm going to need you to go ahead and bounce me a D10. Oh, a D10, you say. A6. Ooh. I'm excited for this one. Ooh. What we got? What we got? Today, we're going to be casting Targek, the most famous of the Dwarven Kings of the Intersea. Cool. The founder of Tar Tagath, and who oversaw the quest for Sky and built many Sky Citadels. As a side note, uh, you can check out my share lore on that on our Patreon uh, $10 tier. Targic was born on the night of Earthfall to Hilgart, a military commander and oracle of Felgrun, a subterranean dwarven nation. She was one of the few citizens of Felgrun who saw Earth's fall as a sign from Torag to start the quest for Sky and did not refuse the call, taking infant Targic with her. Target grew up constantly on the move. As he came to age, he wished to become a warrior, but his mother insisted that he learnt many other skills as well. Diplomacy, logistics, engineering, religion, among others. When major issues arose, Targic was often assigned to work in groups, in doing so, building his reputation as a hard-working, brave, determined dwarf. In negative 5153, scores of orc clans united by their hatred of the dwarves banded together and ambushed the dwarven front in the Battle of Balsalt Grim. Orc raiders struck behind the front lines, killing thousands of dwarven non-combatants, including 
Talgrek's mother, Hilgard. Unlike many other dwarves, Talgrek abandoned the quest for Sky to pursue vengeance. But as dwarven factions began to suggest settling at their current places or even returning to their original homes, he became horrified that all their suffering might have been for nothing and began advocating for the continuation of the quest of Sky. His deep connections and reputation served Targic well, as many joined his cause, calling the alliance Tar Targoth. After the quest for Sky succeeded, Targic recruited the brightest minds he could find to design the Sky Citadel so the dwarves could survive in the unfamiliar surface world. The first Sky Citadel, Koldakar, was built on the site where Targic surfaced and saw the sky for the first time. From Koldakar, Targic ruled over Tar Targoth's Golden Age. During this time, he became one of the most hated names amongst the Darklands creatures who'd found themselves displaced by the dwarves. As he approached the age of 600, a grand tomb was built for him, but Targic feared that doing so would subject Koldakar to endless attacks from his enemies. Instead, he donned his adamantine armor and left Koldakar to die in obscurity. And see, my first thought was Ian McShane, but he's Torag, so I mean, I guess <laughs> that's on point, but... <laughs> Alright, awesome. so I'm gonna go with Richard Armitage. We know oh. the man can play mm. a dwarf. Hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, Targic in his prime, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... We've never cast Richard Armitage, man. So mm. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Richard Armitage. I, I like that choice. And he was uh, Thorin yes. Oakenshield, yeah. And the Hobbit plays movies. Trevor Belmont. And Trevor Belmont. Yes. And he in the BBC like Robin Hood show, he was also the sheriff of Nottingham. Mm. So Target in his prime. Okay. This might be another prime pick. Christopher Hivu. If you don't know who this is, he played Tormund Giants Bane in Game of Thrones. Uh. And most recently uh. he played Nivellin in season two of The Witcher. Nivellin. Yeah. Sorry. Nivellin. <laughs> But he, it, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how funny he was He's pretty until charming. I saw him in both of those. But he can he can pull off the 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 funny with the the serious, and I just I just I I love that guy, and he pulls off that beard like no one's business, man. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not a bad choice. Well, I've decided to go for some. I've decided to go for Targic as the king target, not you know young Targic in his prime, and so I wanted to go with someone who. Uh, Charming, obviously gets across being a great leader, but at the same time has that, can portray that rage, that anger that Targek had uh, over the uh, the death of his his family. I'm going to go with Sir Anthony Hopkins. Oh, okay. Interesting. Can't go wrong with Anthony Hopkins. Guy delivers all the time. Needs no real introduction, although, of course, I suppose since we always do, it's Anthony Hopkins. Silence of the Lamb. Yeah, he's Odin in the Marvel movies. Yeah, so think about that, but with just a bit more beard than Odin normally has. <laughs> so, you know he can rock the beard. Anthony right. Hopkins has been in a ton of amazing things, so, uh, I mean... I am mm -hmm. stunned that we have never cast him. I think he's been put up. He yeah. has been put up, but he hasn't gotten it. He's been robbed, is what you're telling me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a truly wild choice. Okay. okay. Danny Trejo. Oh. That's a wild choice. It's a wild so, choice. Machete, I do like Danny Trejo. Yeah. I say this because, first of all, he can look as scary as possible, but there's still something charismatic about him. Yes. He can yep. be really funny. I would watch yep. the bejesus out of a dwarf movie where Danny Trejo was the lead. I would watch that movie. That guy's a dad. He's got like dad vibes. He plays Rosa's dad on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, does a really great yeah. job with it. He was in Spy Kids for crying out loud. Oh, yeah, he's in everything. He's a great guy. <laughs> so anyway, that's where I've got Danny Trejo. Fair enough. All right, back to you, Jordan. Ah, crud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had one and just learned that they've unfortunately passed, and that makes me very sad. We've cast people I mean, who we could passed do before. Casting. I cast Andre the Giant. That's true. Um, okay, I'm going to go with this one, because uh, uh, the picture that we were given of Targic is uh, of a older dwarf. I really like this actor. He's always had like kind of a unique presence uh, to him, and it's uh, Max von Sydow. Oh, yeah. Sydow? Sydow, I think. Yeah. But wasn't he in The Exorcist? Good Lord, the guy has been in all kinds of stuff. Oh, was he the stuff. priest in The Exorcist? I'm pretty sure he's the priest in The Exorcist. Uh, so he was in, like, Shutter Island. Back in the day, he was in Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He was in uh, The Force Awakens on the Imperial side as Lor Santeca. 
Uh, let's see. He's been, he was in Game of Thrones as Three Eyed Raven. Um, was he in oh, The Exorcist? Yeah. Uh, he most definitely was in The Exorcist and he The Exorcist Two as Father yeah. Marin. All yep. right, all right. There we go. Super mm-hmm. talented. Um, he has done all kinds of different roles. Um, so I think he would have been really good as Targic. All right. With that, we have moved our polling over to our Discord. I will have them posted the mor- sometime in the morning of the day that this posts, depending on what time I wake up. <laughs> so check the Discord, y'all. If it's not there, bother Heather. Yes. Yes, and bother Heather if it's not At there. Her. I'll wake up and be like, oh my God, why is everybody, oh, the casting. They want they <laughs> yeah. wants to cast. You had one job, Heather, on top of your 15 other jobs. Yeah. <laughs> But until next time, stay safe, stay frosty. I don't know why I said stay stay frosty. frosty. I don't know. Because it was tired of being frosty. Last week. Yeah. (laughs) Stay warm. Stay comfortable. And until next time. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.